listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's in the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam. I'm telling you. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is episode 229, coming to you a week later than intended. Uh, but this week, we have back on the show, fresh from the blueberry patches of Maine, uh, Keaton DeRocher. What's going on, man? Heck yeah, man. I had so many blueberry flavored things. It was delightful. Uh, what was the best blueberry flavored thing you had? Yo, all right. So I had this beer. Right? It was a sour blueberry marshmallow beer. Okay. Phenomenal. One of the best beers I've ever had. It was amazing. Marshmallow and blueberries together. That sounds pretty good. It was so good. Uh, who, who makes that little brew? I do not remember off the top of my head. I will try and uh, zoom in on a picture of it. <laughs> okay. Okay. We're going to have to uh, make sure that, you know, you, you tweet out who makes that blueberry marshmallow beer so our Twitter followers can uh, can get themselves a little bit of that goodness. Uh, are you back in the Windy City now, Keaton? I am. I got it. I got it right here. It's the Souls Brewing Company in Saco, and it's called You're My Boy Blue. Oh, good name, too. Yeah. All right. Phenomenal. Well, we're glad to have you back on the show, Keaton. Uh, we had some troubles last week, so we weren't able to record. Um, but uh, we did record with Bob the week before, so hopefully you guys all enjoyed that one. Uh, but we're back. We're back with the crew here. We're going to talk some Red Sox tonight. We have a whole lot of stuff to cover, so um, you know we won't talk to you about blueberries all night, even though it is a great uh, berry, probably one of the best berries. I don't know. It's up there, right? I mean, the strawberries are pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm not going to argue with you. I think I like strawberries a little bit better, but um, blueberries are pretty good. All right, um, so let's get right to it. Red Sox roster is an absolute mess right now. Uh, as we are recording this on Monday, the 30th of August at 8.37 p.m., uh, the Red Sox are currently playing the Tampa Bay Rays, the first place Tampa Bay Rays. Um, and the Red Sox roster is without Matt Barnes. Martin Perez, Kike Hernandez, and Christian Arroyo, who all have COVID. And it is also without Hunter Renfro, who is on the bereavement list because of the passing of his father. Um, so this lineup is very shorthanded, and the replacements are, um, you know, not super encouraging here. Uh, Jaron Duran, who we know has struggled a bit. Yairo Munoz, who is, you know, maybe... Uh, Maybe not as good as his 35-game hit streak suggests. <laughs> uh, Jonathan Arauz, uh, Phillips Valdez, Captain Phillips is back, and Raynel Espinal. Uh, I don't like it, Keaton. What do you think? Well, even Arauz left last night with a with an injury. Is he fine? Well, he's on the roster still, so he might be fine enough to just be a body at this point. <laughs> Yeah, so that just leaves Munoz the only option at second base unless they go back to uh, Jaron Duran, who was drafted as a second baseman. Yep. So <laughs> I guess he's the emergency second baseman. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a, a bit of a mess here. And, you know, what perfect timing. Nice four-game set against the leader in the division. Uh, and you're super short-handed. So what could go wrong? Yeah, probably a lot. Um, you know, considering... Um, you know, since the last time we talked, Keaton, I'm going to pull up a schedule here. We last talked during – right before the Yankees series, right? No, that was – well, way before that actually. We last talked before the last Rays series um, because you went on vacation. So a lot has happened since then. Uh, they swept the Orioles, uh, lost two out of three from the Rays – got swept by the Yankees, and then they went on to win three series in a row. They won two out of three from the Rangers, the Twins, and the Indians. The thing about those three series wins that the Red Sox have had is they were all pretty ugly. 
in a lot of ways, you know, playing some teams that they should definitely beat up on, um, you know, Indians 500 team. So that's, you know, a little bit more difficult, but, um, they did not win all these games that they won in convincing fashion. Uh, it has looked a lot uglier than the record shows. Yeah. And there was opportunities like in the twin series where they should have been able to put games away and then the bullpen blew it. Um, they were, uh, what nine and two, or well, we're going to be nine and two, and then bullpen blew it yesterday, so we're nine and three against those four teams. But which, at face value, I mean, that's it's a nice winning percentage, and they beat the teams that they should have beaten. Right. Uh, but yeah, it, it was not easy. For some reason, Texas is just a pain in the butt for the Red Sox this year. Yeah, uh, and they're not really a pain for anybody else except the Red Sox. So at least we're done with them. But now we're getting into a, a really tough stretch here. I mean, there's a little bit of we got the Indians and then we got another one against the Orioles. But then it's the Mariners, the White Sox, the Rays, the Yankees. It's, it's not an easy stretch here to try and uh, solidify themselves a playoff spot. And the way they're going, it, it's, it's not going to be easy. No, and, it, you know, being uh, eight games back of Tampa Bay for first place right now, it looks like the division is pretty well out of hand. Um, it would take them having a really good series. Um, I think at least taking three out of four, if not all four games, for them to seriously start challenging Tampa Bay uh, over the last month for that division crown again. So, you know, there's a lot of work to be done on that front. Um Somehow, even despite the fact that the Yankees won, what was it, 13 games in a row, um, we're just two back of the Yankees for the first wild card spot um, with that key series against the Yankees at the end of September as well. So, you know, that team feels a little bit more uh, in the crosshairs of, of the Red Sox at this point. Um, Tampa Bay, though, surprisingly, um, you know... Uh, <sighs> They've been almost as hot as the Yankees. They're, they've won seven in a row. Uh, Yankees basically gained no ground on Tampa Bay uh, during their streak, which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And now the Rays have won seven in a row, and they're um, potentially on their way to an eighth in a row here tonight. Uh, and they're kind of taking off. It's Things are getting out of hand very quickly. I mean, I, I completely agree with you. I think the division is gone. At yeah. this point for the Red Sox. Um, but just because the Yankees lost yesterday uh, doesn't mean they won't rattle off another five or so wins, too. They're still incredibly hot. And it's yep. kind of like both of those positions are just getting further and further away from them. And now they have to turn their sights on Oakland and Seattle and holding them off. And that's not an easy task. Uh, Oakland um, were the ones that just ended the Yankees' streak there. They've been on fire. They always have good pitching with bats that get the job done. Seattle, it's a bit more of a mess, um, but they're in it. <laughs> so uh, it's a good thing that the Red Sox have some games against them to try and kind of claw some things back together there. But um, it's hard to feel optimistic, particularly because the, the part that I think is the most frustrating is not only were those games that uh, series that they've won, tough games to win if you you know actually watched – all nine is in the games. They continue, including tonight, to just make stupid mental errors that make it seem like they've given up on the season. Yeah. And it's just hard to watch. Like, they've had three instances of this tonight. Uh, Bogarts almost got thrown out rounding second on a line draw or a, a grounder to the outfield. And then, uh, I don't know if you have the game on while we're recording. I do. But they just... <laughs> They just had back-to-back plays where uh, a dropped swinging third strike allowed runners to get to advance the corners. The batter reached on first, and they just biffed a, a grounder uh, that hopped over Dahlbach but was covered by Munoz. And it's just the these small executions that they are – it just seems like mentally they're not there. It seems like really since like the, the trade deadline, right? And we talked about how it seemed like – uh, that had an impact on the team, and, and Bogarts came out and said some things. But it's just mentally, it seems like they're not there. And that doesn't give you any kind of hope that they're going to get this stuff figured out against good teams. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, the getting in the way of the runners during the game yesterday as yeah. well uh, as we're recording this. Um, the Christian Arroy, uh, Christian Vasquez, I should say, um, not getting in the way of the runner to tag the runner out uh, a few games back as well. That sticks out in my head. The Schwarber gas there were two. Yep. <laughs> I mean, there's just been a lot of those mistakes that you mentioned, and the defense has been pretty horrible. Um, you don't want Schwarber and or uh, J.D. Martinez playing in the outfield as much as they have been lately, uh, which is kind of more often than not. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things that haven't been so great uh, about this time. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, and, you know, to make matters worse, uh, Kika Hernandez is probably one of the best defensive players on the team. Uh, having that breakthrough COVID case, which is a little bit scary. I'm unsure of the vaccination status of uh, Arroyo and Martin Perez. I think Barnes is vaccinated, but I'm not sure. So that might be another breakthrough case. But you know, for them to be dealing with that on top of everything uh, else that they've been struggling with lately, it just seems like it feels like a lot to manage. Yeah, it does. And they don't really have the depth, as you just kind of outlined, everybody that's been called up in this emergency. They don't have great depth to deal with an extended absence. And it kind of feels like things could get worse. And this might actually be the moment that kind of buries them in the season. And it just it almost feels fitting with the way that this collapse has gone that it would be something like this that pulled players off the field when they needed to be on the field and executing, and then this is end up being kind of what buries them into something that's too difficult to, to overcome. But it's hopefully these guys are back soon. Um, I guess we, we don't really know how long these guys are going to be out, right? Because it's been kind of a mixed bag between guys returning. Is it a minimum of 10 days for it's, yeah, Kike, but then 10. some of the other ones that are close contact, they they may be able to return a lot sooner? Yeah, well, it seems that um, everybody, every one of those guys um, that was in the protocol did test positive. So it seems like a very minimum of 10 days for everybody, probably more for some of these guys. Well, the good news is September is in a day. Yep. <laughs> yeah, a couple extra spots coming up here. <laughs> you know, extend that roster out to 28. So there is a, a little bit of hope here. Um, all right, let's move on from the, the COVID stuff for just a second. A um, couple moves. Red Sox did trade um, for Brad Peacock today. Um, you know, a guy who wasn't on a 40-man roster, so he's allowed to be traded. He was traded for cash. You expect the Red Sox to get anything from Peacock? I mean, it seems like they might actually need to use him. Yeah, I wouldn't expect anything at all. I mean, he's been really bad in AAA this year and was really bad at the major league level last year. Uh, ERA over 7 last year's ERA, I believe, is 7.28 uh, this year in 36 innings at AAA. Mm-hmm. So there is a reason he wasn't on the 40-man roster. Um I know that the Red Sox are kind of in a pinch right now, so they probably will give him some innings, but I'm not expecting anything at all. No. Basically just either. to eat time. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it's not exactly a guy who you're going to be pinning your hopes on, um, but I like the idea of bringing in a fresh body, uh, you know, simply for cash. It's not like it's a big deal or anything like that, so see if it works. Uh, there's enough things not working right now, and I want to turn to that situation right now, the bullpen situation. Um, so since we last talked, Keaton, uh, we last talked at the beginning of August, and Matt Barnes had been going through some struggles there, um, but those struggles have since been very accentuated. He has a 13.5 ERA uh, in August. He has basically been removed from high leverage situations at this point. Um, 7.71 ERA in the second half of the year. Um, Matt Barnes has been basically a shell of himself, basically since he got this contract. Um, what do you make of the closing situation for the Red Sox? Um, not great. Uh, they have some interesting options that they could turn to, but it doesn't seem like they're going to. Josh Taylor, uh, Garrett Whitlock as examples. <laughs> Maybe even Garrett Richards, who, since moving to the pen, has been lights out. Yeah, he's uh, been great. He could actually kind of slide into the Whitlock multi-inning role because, I mean, he's he did go uh, four no-hit innings in relief the other night. 
Um, he's pitched multiple innings a couple times. He even has been used in the eighth as the setup man to Adovino a couple times recently. Yeah, he had so, the three-inning uh, save, too. Yeah. So uh, he could kind of move to that, like, the role that Whitlock has been, filling those multiple-inning gaps, being that like that swing man in the relief role. Um, and then that will actually help them control Garrett Whitlock's innings by shrinking his role down to closer and just getting those three outs in the ninth and maybe preserve some of the wear and tear on his arm as we go through this last month. Um that would make sense to me. However, that doesn't seem like the way the Red Sox are going to go. It seems like they're they gave Hansel Robles the first shot to replace uh, Matt Barnes. Successfully converted one save, uh, bailing Barnes out of a situation where he gave up a home run and two walks and didn't record an out. And then Hansel yeah, it was Robles. at that game. <laughs> <laughs> Brutal. Yeah. And then uh, Robles was able to finish it off. But then the next night, another save situation. Give it to Robles and he gives five. Or sorry, I think it was tied in extras and gave up five runs. Um, so he was quickly pulled. Now the last two save opportunities have gone to Adam Adovino. So it seems like they're just kind of going through guys and hoping something sticks. Um, and to their credit, they've had, had, had have success doing that in the past. Like that's how they landed into Brandon Workman being the closer on a very, very effective closer. However, um, they don't really have time to figure this out. (laughs) They can't be giving games away. They need wins. Yeah, I mean, you kind of nailed it with Robles, too. He gets the save on Tuesday, gets the loss on Wednesday. Um, Not a pretty situation there. That's a guy who's been an absolute mess since he's come to the Red Sox. Uh, He has a 7.94 ERA with a 5.28 FIP uh, since he's been back, or since he's been on the Red Sox, I should say. Um, He came out with a lot of juice in that first game against the Twins, the team that traded him. Um... And he was throwing like 97, 98. Uh, even, he might have even thrown one ball 99 in that uh, first save that he got. Yeah. But, it, you know, the stuff just didn't compare on Wednesday. And the broadcast mentioned it too. I mean, the, the velocity was not there. The crispness of the pitches was not there. If you're a closer, you need to have your stuff back-to-back days. And it's just clear that he's not able to do that for whatever reason. Also, a couple anecdotes about that game. Um, He comes out to the Undertaker music, as you know. It goes on for a comically long time when you're at the ballpark. Like, longer than the actual Undertaker's music lasts when the Undertaker comes out. Yeah, and so he pitched in the game that I attended (laughs) as well, which was an 8-1 to loss after, I believe, he gave up three runs in two-thirds of an (laughs) inning. Uh, But he came in and the Undertaker music was playing, and I said to my girlfriend, I was like, I can't tell if that's because he's coming in so the other team is dead or he's coming in so the Red Sox are dead. And then yeah, he, proceeded to give, he proceeded to give up three runs, and they lost 8-1. to one. Uh, So I, it is, it's a weird, like, mid-inning. I, I get it if he's a closer to have that music. And, like, be coming in for the ninth, and it's like, oh, God, he's here. But, like, <laughs> mid-game, mid-inning, even, in a non-save situation, just always coming into that music, it's weird. It's a poor choice. It's a weird vibe. Yeah, it's a it's a weird choice, especially because, you know, the players have uh, selection over those. I mean, um, Schwarber, on the other hand, had amazing uh, walk-up music every single at-bat. Uh, he had a different song. I think he started off with Bone Thugs and Harmony and then, you know, went through the gamut of great songs after that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, read the room, Hansel. Uh, you're not a, you're not the guy who needs to be coming out to The Undertaker anymore. Um, also, did you notice that he has a, uh, like, kind of a shiny belt? Like, his belt looks like something that you could purchase at Hot Topic. It gives off some sheen. <laughs> I did not notice, no. Yeah, it's very fascinating. I don't know. I didn't think that would be regulation. Um, but yeah, he's got a shiny belt. So, ooh, not not impressive. Um, also back with the team since um, we last spoke, Travis Shaw, mayor of Ding Dong City. Uh, had the walk-off granny, had another home run the day that I went to the game on Tuesday. Um what do you think about his role with the team? Um, I'm excited. I'm sure you could have guessed that. Travis Shaw is like the original Hunter Renfro for me. 
So happy to see him back and have the grand slam and the home run the next night. That was really nice. Not expecting a whole lot from him. Um, I'm sure that they added him as some potential relief in case Schwarber didn't work out at first. Uh, They could have Shaw and then... Bobby Dahlbeck has just decided to take that position back. So uh, they haven't had to rely on him too much. He came in, uh, I think he was a pinch hitter last night, and I don't think he might have flied out. But that's probably the role for him. Um, spare some guys. Oh, hey, he, he played second base, didn't he? Uh, he did in Milwaukee. Yeah. So maybe, for the beer league brewers. Maybe he can cover second uh, and spare Munoz here as we – work through this weird situation but yeah it's probably just him kind of being used as a pinch hitter um spare the corners a little bit here down the stretch probably not expecting a whole lot but it's nice to see him back and see him able to kind of contribute there with a nice little grand slam yeah i mean he seems energized by coming back to the team and you know if nothing else um he gives bobby dalvec a little bit more of a push which maybe he's responded to a little bit here in recent Uh, weeks and then um you know he's patient that's one of the things that's been infuriating about the bottom of this lineup is just not a lot of pitches being taken in situations with runners in scoring position and we've talked about how that's been a trademark of you know this team struggles through the second half has been doing poorly with runners in scoring position so uh his bat um and his patience at the plate the ability to draw a walk and then you know schwarber coming in here uh and having a 500 OBP since he's come up, um, you know, that's been fantastic for lengthening this lineup. Yeah, it has. That's one thing, too. I know we're going to get more into Schwarber, but uh, Schwarber's ability to draw a walk is something that this team really desperately needed. He's yeah. been just delightful. He really has. Um, he's He's been fantastic. Um, getting back to the bullpen, though, you know, some other guys who – are on the cusp here. We already talked about um, Valdez and Reynel Espinal coming up. They're not super exciting and probably not, you know, going to fi- figure into the back end of the bullpen. But a guy who might is Ryan Brazier, uh, who is on the cusp of being na- activated. He is with the team in Tampa Bay. Uh, probably be activated as you're listening to this on Tuesday. Um, you know, is is he somebody with potential to to fill that role? I think. Cora is probably a little more open to that because he's been in high leverage spots before. Yeah, he might. Uh, and we know that when Brazier is healthy, that's a guy that Cora likes to rely on uh, in those high leverage situations. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, so it would not surprise me to see him kind of thrust into that. Um, maybe that setting up Ottavino role. And if Ottavino, Ottavino, um, who has been good recently, but he's just he's so inconsistent. Like he'll have this stretch where he'll be really good, and then there's going to be at some point, probably within the next week, where he starts losing all of his control again, and they need to go to another direction. I'm with you. It wouldn't shock me if he's in that in that uh, in that role because he's a guy that Cora likes and has used before in those high leverage situations, and it seems like that would be something that he's comfortable turning to rather than trying to um, you know thrust someone maybe like Whitlock or Taylor, who hasn't been in that role, um, in high leverage must-win games. So yeah. it, it makes makes a little bit of sense. Um, hopefully it works because Brazier has kind of not been great as of late um, when he's been in the majors. So, uh, But, no, that wouldn't surprise me uh, if he is that guy because it's someone that Cora does rely on. Yeah, and I, I think I'd actually prefer that because I like the freedom of having Ottavino, Whitlock, and Josh Taylor for – kind of the high leverage situations that arise naturally throughout the the course of a game. Um, and also, you know, with the usage that some of these guys have had, Ottavino has been used a lot this year. Whitlock's been used a ton. Um, a lot of these guys haven't been available on certain days too. So I do like the idea of having somebody just for the ninth. And I don't think that always has to be your best reliever. I definitely, you know, believe, believe in roles, but I, I, I really like the ability to bring Garrett Whitlock into the game in the sixth or the seventh if you need him there. Yeah, and that's pretty clear that that's how they want to use uh, Whitlock and Taylor too. Since uh, you know, the looking at the usage over the past week or so, um, in those save chances that Ottavino had 
I believe Taylor was brought in in the sixth and pitched a third of an inning in one of them, but then pitched the seventh in the next day. Um, so that that's kind of where they they want those guys to be. And then um, you just kind of laid out the issue with the bullpen currently because yesterday they had Ottavino, um, who was there was four pitchers who were unavailable. Ottavino was one. I think it might have been Whitlock um, and Robles also, and someone else. But having four guys all used that frequently and unavailable uh, in a, a game three of a series. I mean, granted, the Red Sox had won the series, but uh, a the save chance quickly came and went, and all of their best pitchers were unavailable. Barnes, I think, was the other one who was unavailable. Yeah, it was. Um, it or was no, actually Barnes came in. Oh, yeah. It was Richards, Salamora. Uh, Whitlock and Ottavino, who are unavailable because of their usage over the last week. So, yeah, I mean, all those guys have been throwing a lot of pitches. Salamore is another one, I think, that could be in the mix for being in that closer role and still allowing Ottavino, Whitlock, and Taylor to float. But he hasn't been super impressive over the last month either. He, he's he been dealing with that injury situation kind of off and on. And then when he's been in games, he hasn't looked as crisp as he looked earlier in the season. No, I mean, his last outing, he threw 21 pitches and nine for strikes. And he walked the bases loaded and was just able to survive it without giving up any runs. Uh, I don't think he's fit for a closer role right now. No, I I wouldn't think so either. Um, So, yeah, I mean, the bullpen definitely went from being a huge strength for this team um, in the first half of the year to being a weakness of it in the second half of the year. Um, Garrett Richards is also, we should note, is going to be moving to the rotation temporarily. He's going to get a spot start on Tuesday. They're pushing Chris Sale back to give him an extra day of rest, uh, which screws up my tickets for Sunday's game against the Indians. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, that, that's on me for trying to plan out when a Chris Sale start is going to be. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bummed about that. So now instead you get a Garrett Richards start? No, I get a, a Nick Pavetta start, so it's it's not so bad. All right, yeah, you get to see a pretty curveball at least. Uh, so so Keaton, one of the things that's been bugging me, and I have to go on a rant about this for for a little bit, is just the the I don't know whether this is just Twitter or whether it's uh, there's a lot of people who think this way, but there seems to be like these two spheres of Red Sox fans developing on Twitter. And I'm, I'm curious if you've, if you've noticed this at all. But there are people who are angry at Bloom for not doing enough at the trade deadline. And there are people who are like staunch Bloom can do no wrong type people. Have you, have you noticed this? Oh, yeah, 100%. I think we talked about that right well with the questions that we got um, after the trade deadline. I think it was pretty split into those two groups. And there's been a lot like a comments on my own like yeah because we talked about it uh in that show after like i just made like a very simple offhand comment about the trade deadline and there were some very staunch uh bloom defenders immediately in my mentions who seemed to not grasp how trades work so that was fun but yeah i have certainly noticed it yeah, it's, it's been particularly annoying lately because, you know, if, if you follow the team every day like like we do, um, and most of our listeners do as well, you know that there are like ebbs and flows of this season that can't necessarily be described statistically. You know, there are just, there are moments when the team looks like it has energy, moments when it doesn't, uh, mental errors. You can cite war at me all day long and say that this player has been worth this. Like, Schwarber has been worth 0.6 war since he's been with the team in 13 games. That's great. No one would argue that Schwarber hasn't been good in the 13 games that he's played so far with the team. Um, But also, was Schwarber available right after the trade deadline? No, he wasn't. So he wasn't somebody you were able to add to your lineup. The frustration for me comes from the fact that it feels to me irrefutable that Bloom didn't do enough at this deadline because that was the point where this team was getting mentally fatigued, physically fatigued. The bullpen had been used a lot at that point. And for bullpen additions, you get Austin Davis, who has a 5'11 ERA in Boston. I know that people are going to cite his FIP at me, 292 FIP, sure. Okay, good number. But still, 
he's a nobody reliever. He's not a high leverage guy. Robles, we've already gone over him. He's been god-awful since he's gotten here. So you essentially go out and get zero help for a taxed bullpen. You don't have a lot in the minor leagues right now to come in and immediately fill that gap. And then you get a guy in Schwarber who you had to wait a couple weeks for until he could come up. And what were the Red Sox doing during that time while they were waiting for Schwarber? They were losing games. So uh, you can cite his 195 WRC+, 349. He's been fantastic for this team. I want him to be re-signed in the offseason. I hope J.D. opts out, and I hope he replaces J.D. in that role. But, like, this team needed energy back at the trade deadline. It didn't get it. And they lost a shitload of important games because they didn't get that help. And, like, I am a pro-Bloom guy. I support Bloom. I think he's done amazing with the farm system. He's done, you know, the the, the Schwarber value was good. He got a better hitter than Rizzo for less, less prospect capital. But also, he kind of missed the point of a trade deadline. He looked at it a little bit too analytically for me. Schwarber added a lot of value to this team. But at the expense of giving you energy right at the deadline when teams are expecting it and when teams are needing it. And the Yankees went on that huge run. Tampa went on a huge run. Even Toronto went on a huge run after their their uh, trade deadline spending. And Boston did the opposite. So that's my little rant here for today. I think that you can be both critical of Bloom for not having a good trade deadline while also still thinking he's a good general manager. You and I both have defended Bloom pretty consistently on this podcast, uh, but both you and I feel that like it was one thing to do something at the deadline, but it was another thing to do something but not address the most glaring needs. Like The bullpen was taxed at that point. The starting pitching, they needed to get um, Richards and Perez and... I know there are some people who are really in love with Nick Pavetta. I am not one of them. I'm fine with them replacing him. Really, all three of those guys I felt needed to be out. Like on the horizon, you're right. They were getting Chris Sale back, and but the trade deadline was to make moves before that because by the time you got Sale and Schwarber back, this mess had already occurred, and you lost the time to make a change. Uh, Hansel Robles being the big addition, it was incredibly surprising miss. By Bloom to me because um, Bloom being the guy that's like touted to get these like find the value where there isn't and kind of like get these these deals and uh, spot these guys like Renfro who you know low risk high reward and then they work out kind of things uh, seemed like this was a huge swing and a miss because this is a dated statistic but I just it stands out because I saw it before one vacation so it's a couple weeks old at this point but. As of like two weeks ago, there was uh, 414 pitchers who qualified uh, pitching at least 10 innings, and Hansel Robles ranked 413th in ERA. Ooh. And he was a significantly different pitcher since the spider tack ban, mm-hmm. uh, which is where the, I think I said the trade deadline. It was the spider tack ban that those mm-hmm. pitchers qualified. But he was a significantly different pitcher pre spider attack band to post spider attack band so that their big splash to the bullpen would be a guy who was clearly ineffective without it um really is a huge swing and a miss for bloom and really kind of out of character for how he finds value and finds talent to put on a baseball field so that's frustrating that there is that miss um even you know his numbers to that point weren't all that great uh which is obviously why i didn't take much to get him um that and you know twins were trash but they didn't need a first base like i get people were frustrated with it but their offense was still a top five offense and it was scoring runs every night the issue was the pitching the reason why they had so many comeback victories were because the starting pitcher would put them in a hole and the offense was good enough to bail them out and over the first half like pretty much up until the trade deadline the bullpen was an asset they did nothing to reinforce that nothing to address the pitching that had already imploded at that point that was my frustration, and that signaled to me, as it seemed to signal to the Red Sox themselves, that the front office just didn't believe in this roster this year, which was weird because at the time of the trade deadline, they're in first place. Yeah, I agree. I, I completely agree. And, you know, from the time of the trade deadline, um, 
you know, basically starting in August, the whole time that Schwarber was not in that lineup, they went loss, loss, win, loss, 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 win, loss, loss, win, loss. Not great. Okay. And I think that that is a direct correlation to all of those things happening that we talked about before, you know, the, the, the starting rotation that had been going over its head for so many games, um, the offense that had been really good for most of the season kind of quieting down, um, and then the bullpen being overworked, all those things happening at the same time that you're basically giving a team no help because I'm sorry to say, but Hansel Robles and Austin Davis are no help. Schwarber's been a great help, but you know when it's coming on the back of all of those losses and some pretty bad losses in that stretch, I think you remember that Tigers series is fr- as frustrating as I do. It was pretty awful, and the Blue Jays series wasn't much better. Um, you know, it's just it feels like that was that was the point uh, where the Red Sox really screwed the pooch for me. You also pointed out too in that that episode after the trade deadline that uh, Schwarber has a mutual option for next year, and the fact that he missed time. Uh, and I mean, we didn't, he didn't have a timeline for return. Um, when we recorded that podcast, we just knew that he was going to come back at some point. Um, but it didn't really make a whole lot of sense if you weren't going to get more out of him. And, but you also pointed out that he had done enough to the, to that, to before getting hurt, um, which was like at the all-star break, I think, um, to out earn the $10 million option. And it's almost a guarantee that he's not going to agree to that mutual option and be somewhere else. Uh, unless the Red Sox pay him the money for it. But if they feel like they're getting value in Dahlbeck out of first base, then they probably won't. So it kind of – it all feels like hollow, right? Like they right. – their offense was already really good. They added Schwarber, who's really nice, but he's probably not going to do all that much while he's here, and then he's going to go somewhere else and be very effective. And then, you know, kind of add to that Schwarber point, um, as good as Schwarber has been since he's been here, they rushed him back. So his first 10 games that he played with the Red Sox, he played either at DH or in left field um, before he even made a single appearance for part of a game on the 26th at first base and then get his first start at first base uh, on the 27th. So, you know, you're really it's almost a month after the trade deadline until you're able to use him in sort of quote unquote, the optimal lineup for this team. So they had to do a lot of maneuvering to the lineup, um, hurting the defense and, and making it not as optimal offensively just to fit his bat in there. Yeah, there was uh, I think it was Alex beer tweeted a couple of days ago about JD Martinez splits as a DH first in the outfield, and they're significantly worse as an outfielder. It's hitting like 240 versus um, like 320 as an outfielder or as a DH. So was not conducive to the Red Sox best lineup being out there. Um, and it kind of showed, right? They still took a bit for them to kind of get in this place where they could beat these poor teams. And they're, as you pointed out at the top of this show, struggling to even beat those poor teams. So it's, yeah, it's been. It was a, an incredibly great first half of the season. Uh, the Red Sox are obviously still, still in a playoff spot now, but it's uh, you don't feel super confident about it, do you? No. I you know, I think that mathematically they probably have, and I haven't looked at their most recent fan tracks percentages, but I would guess that they're you know upwards of 70% or something like that to make the playoffs at this point. It feels more like 30% to me. Yeah, that's probably pretty accurate. I feel like it's probably the same. Uh, the percentages are 83.4% actually to make the playoffs. 5.2% to make uh, to win the division. So 83.4 feels very generous. <laughs> Extremely generous. Yeah, well, they're only a game and a half up on the, on the athletics, and the athletics percentage is 15%. That's so weird. Yeah. I, I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with the strength of schedule for the Red Sox heading into September. But, you know, it just if you've been watching this team, it doesn't feel like almost an 85% chance that they're going to be in the playoffs. No, it doesn't. 
All right. Well, our rants are over. Um, it is time to get to some listener questions, maybe our favorite part of the podcast. Uh, the first one comes from a great big lark, and he says, uh, typing this as Bobby hits a home run in the second, referring to tonight's game, do you think Dahlbeck of August is just a hot streak combined with having a few really good games against bad pitching, or do you think he is beginning to figure it out? Um, this is a really interesting question, and before I saw this question, this was a topic I was going to tackle anyways, so thank you for this. Um, Keaton, what's your impression on Bobby Dahlbeck? Has he truly turned the corner, or is this just you know, him hitting bad pitching? Well, I think it's a little of um, both him turning a corner uh, and kind of riding out the hot streak. I don't think he's this good. Um, he's hitting like... 350 in august isn't he like i don't expect uh, that. 345 yep three yeah <laughs> that's so that's he's certainly playing above himself but i think that he is figuring it out i mean this is something that you and i talked about kind of a lot in the first half of the season right we talked about how um Dahlbeck should be given enough run like you gave chavis essentially two full well a uh, season and a half yeah two and a half season seasons and a half. yeah uh to earn a position either at second or first. Uh, and it seemed weird that they wouldn't, I mean, depending on like the makeup of the team, but like not to give Dahlbeck at least like a season to stake his claim and figure it out seemed a little weird. And we were kind of rooting for this to be the case where he would get the chance. And I think he, he, he had obviously 2020 was really good so that he could hit major league hitting and hang. Um, he had spurts in the first half of the season where he was really good, and now he's put it together for an extended period of time. So I think it's just him finally having enough time against major league hitting, and he's kind of like they adjusted to him. He's adjusted back and having success and just riding out the hot streak. So I think it's it's a mixture of both. It's him taking advantage of poor pitching and maybe playing a little bit above himself, but I think he is figuring it out. Uh, I think he just needed the at-bats. And I'm glad that the Red Sox were able to give him the at-bats through that. Obviously, though, it's clear that they weren't hope, weren't thinking that was going to be the case, adding Schwarber for him essentially to play first base. So there's probably an added, like, oh, shit, my job's on the line piece to it. But, yeah, he, he's a major league caliber player. And so I think, yeah, it's kind of a, a bit of a mix of all of it. But I think, I think, I think at the beginning I said, like, a 250 average, 30 plus bombs was pretty realistic for what to expect from him, and um, he's almost up there now. Um, I think he was hitting 240 coming into the game tonight, so he was he was almost there. Um, the home runs not quite there, but he had a really cold start, so it's just and then uh, was put into a bit of a timeshare there for a bit for a while. But yeah, I think that's a pretty effective first baseman for you if you're getting you know close to 30 home runs, 250 average. That's pretty standard for the first base position across the major leagues so yeah i think i think that's where he's at so i i'm not convinced he's a major league starter at first base um at this point you know watching him all year the thing that i've been most frustrated with and the thing that's been different from his time in the minor leagues has been his inability to take a walk um and you know, through the month of May, June, and July combined, he took eight walks. That's it. Uh, in August, when he's been hot, he has seven walks just in August. Um, so, you know, that's that's pretty good. That's more like what we have expected. Um, you can deal with seven walks versus 16 strikeouts. You can't deal with, like, eight walks and 100 strikeouts. Um, that is <laughs> that's not going to do it. Um, yeah. So... If, if he can become more patient, and I don't even care if he's beating up on bad pitching because there is going to be some bad pitching um, that he faces. I think it's harder to be one of those guys that beats up on bad pitching when you're playing against AL East competition as frequently uh, as he is. Um, but I, I think he can be a useful bench guy or maybe even like a DH once JD leaves or something like that. Like Casas ends up being the long-term first baseman and he gets starts against left handers um you know and plays when 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 Casas needs a a day off or whatever uh I think there's a role for him but I'm still seeing a lot of his success happen in situations where he's facing bad pitching 
But then, you know, I looked at the stats. I, I have to be fair to him. I was like, man, it feels like every time he's up in a situation we need him to hit, he doesn't hit. But he's actually been better with runners in scoring position and uh, high leverage situations. So, I don't know. The, the numbers are, are a little bit more kind to Dahlbeck than my eyes tell me. So, what what's your final verdict? My final verdict on Dahlbeck is I don't think he's an everyday player. Um, that being said, I think he could figure it out because, like you said, he has figured it out in the minor leagues. It has taken him a while at different levels to kind of come around. Um, but as of right now, I don't think he's good enough. Okay. Yeah. Kind of where I'm at. Um, next question comes from Gordon Comstock, and he says, Would you rather an eight-year, $300 million extension for Rafi that starts next year? All right. It's realistic. Or a 12-year, $500 million contract for Soto three years from now? Uh, but you have to agree to take that Soto contract uh, right now, not knowing what his next three years will look like performance or injury-wise. So in three years from now uh soto will be 25 uh so a year older than what devers is right now so actually they'd both be starting at 25 so essentially would you rather have 25 year old soto uh for 500 million bucks a year for the next 12 years or uh eight years of devers at 300 million (laughs) i think i'd rather have soto yeah, this is no question for me. Um, <laughs> yeah. Rafael Devers is awesome. Soto is otherworldly. Yeah, Soto has a 500 plus uh, OBP uh, with a 197 WRC plus since the All Star break. Dude is he is next level. Yep. Sorry, Rafi. We love you. How about both? That's nice. I'd like both. Uh, next question comes from Alden Suisez, and he says, do you think it would make sense to move Hauk to the bullpen? Um, I do, Keaton, and I don't know if your feeling has changed on this, um, but, you know, last start, Hauk, 81 pitches or whatever, um, no hitter through five innings, and then he starts to see the lineup for the third time, and what happens? Three earned runs. Um he cannot get through the lineup for the third time. We know this already. Put the man in the bullpen. Yeah, it's it sucks, but it's not even that he can't get through the third time. It's that as soon as the third time through the rotation or through the lineup starts, he gets immediately hammered. Like He can only make it through two turns. And he had a situation yesterday where uh, he was getting quick outs, had low pitch count but then came that that sixth inning and it just sort of all fell off yeah it probably is uh i mean he could be just a tremendous high leverage reliever but then um you know the other the flip side of that coin is are you putting richards back in the rotation no i'm leaving hoke in this year but i think that moving forward he's gonna fill in either like a lockdown closer role or be one of like those multi-inning hater Andrew Miller type guys. I think that he could be that type of weapon. I think that's where he's most valuable in my opinion. He could be really good in that role too. I mean, it's pretty clear that his stuff really would play up in that kind of role. Yeah, he'd be a complete weapon. Uh, Our next question comes from Tom Penny, potentially the uh, famous skateboarder who disappeared in Europe for a while, um, but probably not. Uh, how long before Cutter or Seabold is called up? Uh, Cutter Crawford, he's referring to, or Connor Seabold. Um, do you think either of those guys gets called up when rosters expand to 28? Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. One day. <laughs> Who do you think, both or one? Uh, I think Seabold for sure. Cutter maybe. Yeah, I kind of think Seabold now that all this nonsense is going on with the roster, with covid situations and and all that jazz um it it feels like he was somebody who was not going to get called up before all that happened but now i can see it yep um the big man has our last question does perez or richards make a spot start before the end of the year yes tuesday richards making a spot start 
So yep. they decided to push Chris Sale back because I bought tickets. <laughs> well, see, if you can't see him, neither can I. Well, there we go. Or other way around. If I can't see him, neither can you. <laughs> I see dead people anyways. Six cents. All right. Spoiler alert. Show. <laughs> if it's like a, a comedian I was just watching says, if you haven't seen Six Sense over the last 20 years, I don't care if I'm spoiling it for you. Fine. Actually, that movie, my dad got really mad at me for spoiling for him when I was like five or something. Well, I wasn't five, but, you know, I was young. Um, I was <laughs> probably like... the Sixth Sense at five <laughs> no i definitely wasn't um i'm not that young um i don't know i was probably like 12 or something and i spoiled the sixth sense for him and he's never let me forget it so oh well all right well that's a great way to end this show thank you for joining us for this episode uh we do appreciate it we'll be back with you normally uh with all our technical and scheduling issues now figured out uh, if you like the show, please go on, rate and review us, subscribe to the show, and check out the other shows on our Over the Monster podcast network, the Open the Monster podcast with Brian and Matt, uh, the Red Sox On Deck podcast with Keaton, or uh, with uh, Shelly and Bob, and then the Precap podcast with Keaton and Shelly. All right. Thanks so much. And we'll be with you next week. 